Oops, pushed the wrong button. Hey, it's no driving gloves again. It's Thursday night, but we're an hour earlier than we normally are. And am I making sure my mic works? Yep. Uh, last night we had Will, caught up with Will and Seema and all of his things. And I had invited Will on the show, but Will's so busy, he took a little bit to get a hold of me. And uh, I had already invited Mitch to step in this week and uh, talk. Uh, known Mitch for shit, 12 years, 12, 13 years. Yeah. Uh, Mitch and I worked together at uh, Barber Vintage Motorsports Museum for 10, well, I've been gone for four years, so we're, eight years, nine there years. there at the same time for probably yeah. about eight years. Uh, yeah, so we worked together for a while, so Mitch and I know <laughs> the goods and the bads and the <laughs> fun things. But Mitch, like me, um, why it's everybody comes in and tells you it's the greatest job in the world. Um it's about all we're going to cover on Barbers. Yep. Um, it is, uh, he stepped away and he's uh, doing a couple uh, kind of cool things, I guess. And yeah. we're going to yeah. give a quick synopsis of what you're doing. And then maybe we'll get into a little uh, depth about that. I've got to lean I've, closer to the mic. <laughs> Oops. Um, so about coming up on a year, eh, about a year ago, almost a year ago now. Um, left the museum, and myself and two other guys, Andrew Rains and John Whitson, uh, started our own shop called Birmingham Road and Race, where we kind of do anything and everything to help your car go faster, I guess. Um, but you don't do it for street legal cars. You're doing it. No, I mean, uh, our, our kind of focus is... The, the, well, I shouldn't say our focus. The vast majority of our business is like the HVDE crowd guys that have their street cars that they take to the track or, you know, usually they're not their daily driver or whatever, but um, just track our stuff. Um, we, we have a handful of true race car customers that it is only, um, you know, race car. But then most of it's just high performance driving stuff, um, you know, suspension upgrades, more power brakes. Um, safety stuff. We do a lot of safety stuff. Um, just kind of keeping people on track. Uh, we're going to quickly go back. HPDE, high performance driving experience. Yep. There. Yep. So, so if you, um, you know, at Barber, for example, since we're in Birmingham, um, different organizations, there's shoot probably six or eight that host events at Barber where you can pay your couple hundred bucks, whatever it is, they all vary and show up in your car and, Driver on the track. Yeah, it's a, it's something I wasn't familiar with until I was at Parbers, and then the number of people that come out and Porsche driving experience type mm-hmm. stuff, or I guess the the Porsche Club has their track days, and there's other groups that do it. And I mean, it happens at every track across the country. And yeah. um, you found a a void though here because. If you're say even over in Atlanta at Road Atlanta, yep. there's a garage right there or yep. a shop right on the track where there's nothing in Birmingham. Yeah, that's that's kind of how really how we got started. Um, myself and Andrew Rains got to be friends, got to know each other, started doing some racing together, um, and then just through our conversations, we're like, how come we have one of the best racetracks in the country here in Birmingham, but there's not really any shops that focus on servicing and prepping and building cars. For the track, you know, there's plenty of shops around that do great work that are great shops that, yeah, sure, they'll, you know, 
do a do a track setup for you. Yeah, sure, they'll install install these coilovers or this big brake kit, but that's not really what they do. And so we're like, well, shoot, why don't we be the guys that do that? And it's 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 been pretty well received. We've, I mean, like I said, we've only been around for less than a year. Um, haven't even been able to do tons of advertising or marketing or whatever. Um, you're finding you're really not needing the advertising. Yeah, I mean, it, it's we're we're recently as of about what are we the second week of. Yeah, we're second Whatever. week of November. November. So yeah, for about six weeks now, we've been a two-man show. Um, until then, it was it was just me doing everything, and and I couldn't keep up myself. So that's when we we brought in a really good friend of mine, Michael Morgan. Um, that he's he's been helping with all the admin stuff, kind of the back end stuff. So instead of me uh, sitting at a computer all day on the phone with customers, he can he can handle most of that. So I can actually be getting some work done. Yeah, I saw that job when I was looking and I go, dang, that was two months ago. Not that Mitch would hire me. He knows how I am a little narcissistic and I get my way. At you can still come help out. I, I, yeah. <laughs> now, free labor is always appreciated. Eh, sometimes. <laughs> so, um, where was I going for that? And what is, give us a little bit of your your racing background. I mean, you're, you, as long as I've known, you've always been into tinkering with your own cars and stuff. And yeah. So like we said, I was at the museum for like, I was there for 12 years, about eight years, eight, nine years with John. Before that, um, I raced, started in go-karts, did some sports car stuff, did open wheel stuff like formula cars. Um, and then mostly ended with a lot of, uh, short track, like circle track stuff, late models, and then that's kind of what, I guess, led me to working in the museum for a while. But then I was always, I did a lot of drag racing for a while. Um, through the museum, we did some lemon stuff. Um, and then I met John Woodson, who I'm now partners in Birmingham Road and Race with, that um, he has a E46 M3, so like a 2004 BMW M3 that we endurance race and it's called the world racing league wrl um and he i mean perfect example he had this car he lives here in birmingham and he he there's there were shops that would help him but no one that could really truly develop and build this car and help him get to the racetrack and go to the track with them and and you know all the things that racers need and that's really was kind of the um genesis i guess for us starting this business is we realized that I could kind of be of assistance to him. And then as I started doing more of that, you know, we'd, we'd be at the track testing or practicing or whatever and meet people and they'd be like, Oh, well, can, can you help me do this? And one thing led to another and, and here we are. Um, so, I mean, for shoot 20 some odd years now, I've been, racing and and you know whether i'm driving or working on cars or building the cars or in the shop or at the track or whatever and so i guess it was uh finally time i kind of turned it into a real business oh i mean you are multi-talented as a race car driver you do roundy round you do um right and left stuff and you do straight line stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I started, so 
so how, how, it, how it really got started is, um, so I used to live in Colorado, a couple hours outside of Denver and me and my dad went to Bandemir drive strip right outside of Denver, just to, it was like a test and tune day or something. I don't know. Um, I was 10 years old, I guess. And at the drag at Bandemir drag strip, they have a go-kart track in the parking lot, but it's not like, you know, the amusement park go-karts. It was shifter carts and, you know, true race carts. And so after the drag race stuff was over, we went down there and started checking it out. And that's really kind of how I got started with my racing stuff is we ended up with a go-kart and we'd go down there every couple weekends and, you know, we'd have to figure out how to, how to work on it, how to maintain it, how to make it go faster. And, and that progressed for a couple of years. And then, um, through, I mean, really just kind of a, a chance sort of, I mean, just pure, pure luck thing. We ended up becoming uh, pretty good friends with Bill Elliott, NASCAR driver. Um, and as I was doing the, the go-karts and then started doing a little bit of sports car stuff, of course, Bill was like, you don't, you don't want to mess with that stuff. Here's what you want to do. And, and he really helped me get involved in more of the oval track stuff. Um, so that was, I was probably 16 or 17 at the time and still living in Colorado and would come to, you know, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Alabama, every couple of weeks to race, um, the late model cars, the, the circle track stuff, some, sometimes on dirt, sometimes on asphalt. Um, and that, that's really what I did the most of. And then when that kind of came to an end, that's when I started playing with drag racing stuff, you know, it was here. I was living back in Birmingham at the time and there's one, two, three, probably five or six drag strips within an hour or two of Birmingham. So it was just kind of a, a you know, more uh, convenient, I guess, way for me to still play with race cars. Yeah. When I met, met Mitch, he had this, well, he still has the truck, I believe. Yep, yep. It is <laughs> I think up. I've seen it run once or twice. I think he used to drive it to work. I, I used to drive it. Um, and then it. So since I've known my wife, we have lived in three separate houses. She has helped me push it into trailers twice to get it from the first house to the second house, and then push in the trailer again the second time to get it from the second house to the third house. So it's it's a uh, what year is it? Two thousand one Chevy Silverado that was just my truck for a while, and then one thing led to another, and you know as as things do, my daily driver truck turned into a uh, back half tube chassis twin turbo pickup truck. You know, just just norm, the just, or, ordinary just, just, farm just, truck. Yeah, normal. You know, fourteen hundred <laughs> horsepower. Chevy pickup truck. Um, so it's actually with it, electric motors, right? Because everything a thousand horsepower is electric today. It has to be. <laughs> no, no, no. Just, just two big turbos. Um, and it, it's, it's with all the other racing stuff I'm doing, and as busy as you are, we are in the shop now. Like, I mean, maybe a couple days worth of work to get it. It runs, it drives. Every couple months, I take it around the block, and you know, upset all my neighbors. And then pull it back in the garage just so it doesn't completely sit. But it's it's a couple days work away from being 
100%, but it just, you know, the whole having the, the time, the energy, the motivation, the money to finish your own personal projects when you have countless customer projects that need to be done. And, uh, it, it has been on the back burner for years and years. It's the, it's the pain of being self-employed. Um, I have it where if I'm not doing something for the, doing something for myself, I should be doing something for the business where I'm making money. <laughs> you know, if I'm not doing it and now you would be doing the exact same work that you could be making money. And it's just, it's one of these things I'm working on dealing with a little bit is how to be able to run the business and still have a personal life. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. You're in that first year and yeah. totally jumped in both feet. So it was it was uh, me and Izzy's anniversary, not this past weekend, but the weekend before. So stayed home for that weekend. You know, we had we had a bunch of time together. It was good. Other than those two days, I don't know the last day that I wasn't at the shop. You know, even if it's just, oh, well, I just need to run down there The you know, if if on the weekends when traffic isn't bad, it's 15 minutes for me. Um, so it's easy for me just to run down and, and, oh, I just, you know, need to get this done. I need to get that done. I'll be an hour. And then, of course, I'm there for four hours and the wife's calling me going, hey, you said you were going to be home. But it's it, and it's it, not to the when, when I first started doing it, I was working 12 hour days, six days a week going in on Sunday for four hours. And I very quickly realized that's this isn't sustainable. Um, but anymore, it's it's I've, I've found a good balance, I think, of not working all the time. But, you know, we're, we're kind of at the point of building this new business where it's it's kind of not do or die, but I can't just sit at home with my feet propped up knowing that I have all this this these projects stacking up that. If I don't get them done, then they don't get done. So do you get into the where Mitch lives to the per, where the shop is? Traffic's pretty miserable. Yes. Um, at you know, typical seven thirty to nine times and around that five o'clock hour. Yep. So do you find yourself going, Well, I could leave a little bit early and use that sitting in traffic time at the shop, and then yep. I could stay a little bit later and I'm using that traffic time at the shop and you're yeah, first, I mean you leave at 615 you're going to get home about the same time yeah no absolutely um i either have to leave my house by 7 a.m or it takes me 45 minutes to get to work if if i leave at 645 i can be there call it seven o'clock if i leave at seven o'clock i'm there at 7 30 if i leave at 7 30 i'm there at 8 30 so i either leave before seven or if i don't make it out the door in time you know, I have my laptop at home and, and I can get some, you know, d d whether it's research, whether it's looking into this stuff, whether it's, uh, you know, trying to help a customer with a build or, or you know, do invoicing. You know, there's 10,000 things that can be done. So it's it's either leave by seven or leave after nine. And then same thing coming home. It's I either have to leave by 430 or after 630. And, you know, the days of me feeling like I've gotten enough done for the day at four thirty are long gone. So realistically my hours are generally about seven to 
630. It's just still but, pretty good for self-employed. Yeah, guy. It's, it could be worse. <laughs> it, could, it could be seven to, you know, 730 or 830 or we, um, we do have a new car that we're building for the 2023 season that actually um, roll cage just got done and it finished today. So we're hopefully going to pick that up tomorrow if it's not raining too bad. And me and, and Michael, who, who I just mentioned started about six weeks ago, we've already been talking. There's probably going to be a handful of, of all nighters coming up. The, the, the series that we run just released their calendar a couple weeks ago. And last year, their first race was uh, like mid, mid, late February. And this year, it's third week of January. So we were anticipating having almost another full month to get this car done. And so now it's kind of, you know, a little bit of a time crunch, but part of it. Uh-huh. Deadlines are good, though. Yeah, if, if we, we had been talking about this build for months we we bought the chassis it's another um e46 three series this is an m3 it's just a 330 chassis but um by the time we do everything that we do they're one in the same um and we we've had the chassis for six months and it was constantly well this is this is this week i'll get started well no no no, this customer came in so next week i'll get started and finally we said if we're going to do this it's time to go and so we'd actually already started pulling the car apart when when the schedule got released, and we kind of went, "Oh, we should have we should have gotten started on this sooner." But uh, it's it's I mean, with like you're saying, without the deadlines, without the pressure, it's you know, even though this is a a business project, we're using it to we're we're um, basically trying to use this car as more or less a marketing tool for us to be able to show what we're capable of. And we've, we've, um, one of the partners in the shop, Andrew Rains is a, um, he has a company called Apex Pro that is a, uh, they call it a digital driving coach. So he does a lot of driver coaching. So he has a bunch of clients that are, that are really great drivers that are always looking to improve, um, that are interested in, in, you know, venturing out a little bit other than just driving their car at their home track. So we're able to, um, use those contacts to get people that are willing to give us a little bit of money, a lot of money um, to drive our car that makes it worthwhile for us to build this car and go to the track and, and it not be a huge expense to the business. Um, and so that's kind of the motivation for us to get this done because it, it, it was forever. Just, it was not a whole lot different than the personal projects like my truck like you know yeah we want this yeah it would be fun it'd be nice but we have other stuff to do well now it's kind of become a priority and pressure pressure's on but that's a good thing i sit there um it's different but it's the same i've always said i missed working in restaurants Mm -hmm. because Nothing was more fun than that dinner rush or that lunch rush where things had to get done. You, yeah. you know, you had to move, you had to move, you had to move. Uh, time flew. Now, granted, that's only for two hours and then it goes off for the, till the next day where you're constant pressure. Because once I left the restaurant business and I got into the restoration business and really, unfortunately, since then, I've never had solid, hard deadlines 
everything's kind of progresses as it needed because the restorations were parts availability, scheduling, things like that. Uh, when I was doing it for in the for the public uh, rather than in a museum setting, it was when the customer paying and things like that. So there was never quite any pressure. I mean, I've had a couple of concours that you had to hit or a couple of shows that we really needed to have the car the majority of the way done. But you find when you get into this business, when you have, yeah. when unless you're building a race car, you find when the fir- first time that car shows up at its, you know, SEMA or um, the, a Roadster show or something like that, it's maybe not quite a hundred percent. There might be a couple all of things the, that need to be done. All the Bluetooth drive shafts. Yeah. The yeah, <laughs> exactly. The uh, but I guess when you're building a race car, you you don't. It's it's got to work or it doesn't we, work. We have to have a drive shaft. <laughs> yeah. We we can't push it around the track yes. for for sixteen hours a weekend. And at least you don't finish well doing that. No, no. I'm not I'm not in good enough shape to do that either. No, we'll, we'll, th- we'll throw that out there because everybody's talking about it. Um, uh, and we both know Sean Yoder, right? And yep. he gets into racing simulators and how it can teach you to drive. And uh-huh. it's very realistic. Yeah. And now it's also come out that that's the way this dude in NASCAR learned to drive. He said, I used to do this. And <laughs> <laughs> what did we, you think we, of that move? Is that even a conceivable move in somebody's head? That was to me the epitome of he wanted it more than the other guys. Um, he was, you know, I, I don't know the full story. I'm I'm not as as ingrained in NASCAR as I used to be by any stretch. But best I can tell, best to the best of my knowledge, you know, um, he's he's with kind of an underdog team. They had been overperforming for for the majority of the year and he had a chance to you know keep his chances of winning the cup going and coming into that last corner of that last lap he wasn't going to make it it's so what was his option give up or try something that no one's ever seen before it it literally is i don't do it i'm gonna lose if i do it and it screws up i'm gonna, gonna lose, lose. so I do it and it works i make nascar popular yeah, again for a, a week <laughs> yeah. and that and and if if you guys that are that are listening or watching or whatever if you haven't seen the in-car video of of what we're talking about at martinsville so nascar now has has sequential gearboxes and at martinsville they're mm-hmm. using third and fourth gear third in the corners fourth on the straightaways he gets to about the point of the track where everyone else is on the brakes and downshifting from fourth into third. And he yanks it into fifth and keeps it matted. And just, well, it, it, it was, it was one of the cooler things that, that I've seen. I, I liked it. I would say the, the fastest laps of everybody else on the field was like in the mid nineties. And he did that lap at like 106. Or yeah, it, that or lap something. was almost two seconds a lap faster than any other, the next fastest lap of the race. And obviously he couldn't have done another one, but he, that's all he had to do. And he did it and it worked. Got a lot of, and and when it comes to racing, it's camera time. And that's, I've always said, when it comes to NASCAR, you either win or you crash. That's how you get on camera. 
you know, now with this new multi 18 screen stuff, I guess you can actually be in 12th and get some TV time, but he got TV time. He's talked about, he's known, he might change the rule book a little bit. (laughs) I I mean, to, to one of, one of the, one of my favorite things about the WRL series that we're building this car for to race next year. And we raced all this past year is their rule book is including safety rules, including roll cage rules, including like their race procedures and even how they want you to load into the paddock, you know, before the weekend starts, I think it's 16 or 18 pages. Like it's, it's simple. Like all the, all these, there's, there's plenty of series that, you know, they see something like that. So they enact three more pages of rules to prevent something like that from happening in the future. Like, Nice. Let them let them have some fun. You know, let them use, use the ingenuity. What's the odds of somebody else doing that? That and so that <laughs> like uh, me and my dad were talking about it the other day, and and he was saying the same thing you just said. He goes, you know, there's got to be there's going to be a bunch of rules now. And I'm like, well, let's think about it. You know, the the likelihood of that being as beneficial two seconds a lap at many other tracks in Nashville is very marginal. You know the um, differential in speed at Martinsville from end of the straightaway to minimum speed in the corner mile an hour wise. It's, it's probably not crazy, but like percentage wise on the straightaways, they're probably only doing 105, 110 miles an hour, maybe. And in the corners, they're pretty slow, but it's not a huge gap, but at any other track, the, like the percentage differential isn't that great. So gaining that advantage of riding the wall around isn't going to gain you that much. And at the bigger tracks, the, um, the extra distance from being all the way on the outside is going to be that much more of a downside. So there's probably not many tracks where it would really be an advantage. And how often is someone going to be in a position where it's worth risking everything for those couple positions, you know, only at the very end of the year with their playoff system, will it really be an advantage? So. Yeah. I think the be- the best thing I've saw about it is how it was foreshadowed 35 years ago. I don't know if you've seen the meme where they take the Tom Cruise mm-hmm. um, and, you know, ride the outside, ride the yeah. outside. Don't Pass worry. On the outside <laughs> will hold. Oh, I, I, Trust me. I've seen Desert Thunder yeah, and plenty it, of times. It, and the narration almost works perfectly yeah. for the. Oh for yeah, that. all so, the, the but, videos they put the they dubbed over the days yeah. later. No, I, I just found that a good move. I haven't watched, I haven't watched a full race car or a NASCAR race since um, February of uh, '01. So, and I, you know, I had hopes for some drivers to maybe continue that Dale Earnhardt attitude. And uh, it just all became so cookie cutter and yeah. safe. And that was a nice breakaway from, yeah. I think, that conservative, um, you know, let's, you know, throw it all out the window and see yeah. what happens. See what happens. Go for it. Why not? And it's kind of what you're doing, what you're doing with your business is hey, we'll see what, what let's, happens. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah. After years of, of very, you know, comfortable work. It was time to yeah, time to throw it out there and see what happens. It's um, so it's kind of like if you 
if you do fail, which I don't think you will, you've been a very motivated and I'll be a lot better person than I was led to believe when I was, when you first walked in the doors through people I knew, (laughs) (laughs) um, you just got to go back to do what you were doing. Well, you know, may not be for the same business and that, but you've you've always had a very successful career in the, the automotive world. And this just, you know, potentially puts more doors in front of you if oh, you, yeah. uh, you know, don't don't make it. But I mean, it seems like a solid business plan. It is definitely a need for the area. Um, it's and I'll jump back real quick. You have driven Martinsville, haven't you? Never been to Martinsville. No. Um, most of the like big time, big name NASCAR tracks pretty much only run not not pretty much only but mostly run big time NASCAR mm-hmm. races um and the stuff i was doing was more of the you know local saturday night short track kind of stuff which you know tracks very similar to martinsville you know most martinsville is a half mile most of the tracks i ran were half mile um but never actually mm-hmm. on martinsville no no so over your career you've had the opportunity to drive a multitude of things, been exposed to a multitude of automobiles. Um, What are some of your best drives, do you think, or, you know? It's, that's, that's always such a, I I had the question, I had a question posed to me like that uh, a couple of years ago. And I answered it in the following week. I said, wait, this is the thing. And it's where, you know, I was in a Lotus with Mario Andretti on Barbers, and he had never been on the track. And I had to kind of tell him where the corners were after we almost spun. Yeah. And so you, it sounds like a very arrogant thing, but it's actually a kind of a cool thing I found. So that so one of the I've I've been been lucky enough, I guess you could say. There's there's plenty of words to describe it, but lucky enough. Um, to drive a bunch of super, super special cars and super special environments. But speaking of Mario, um, at, at the Barber Museum, they have a uh, Mario Andretti Lotus 64, right? Yeah. IndyCar? Yeah. Um, that a couple of years ago, whenever it was, uh, we got to take that car up to Indianapolis and I got to drive a Mario Andretti Indy car around Indianapolis. And it was, it was just for, you know, a short little TV promo thing. I was doing you know, 30 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour, but that's pretty cool. There's, there is two people that have driven a load of 64 around Indy, Indianapolis, me and Mario Andretti. Thank you. That particular 64. Yeah, yes. That, like, that's, yeah. that's pretty cool. Um, but it's, it's always so interesting to me, you know, I've, I always kind of think when people ask questions like that, I think back to, you know, the Barber Museum is mostly motorcycles. And so some of the bikes I've gotten to ride, you know, there was, there was once we were doing one of the, one of the big events at the museum and we had a MV Agusta 250cc GP bike that, we're, I don't remember the details, but, you know, I got to ride it around and just make sure everything was good before the actual demo. And, and someone, you know, one of the guests in the museum was, going, man, how was it? 
it was, it was terrible. <laughs> it was awful. Like that, like this bike is meant to ride at 110% on the edge and win races with what I'm doing with it. Like it's like beautiful bike, wonderful piece of engineering, you know, incredible machinery, but it was terrible. It was awful to ride. And so it, it's always just so interesting to me, like some, you know, the, the driving the Lotus 64 on any great experience. Do I have more fun? You know, it, it, is, is it more enjoyable to drive a lemons car? Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it, and, and I guess it's kind of a perspective and, and what each, each person really enjoys doing, but you know, there's of all the special thing, you know, the, the Andretti car, the Lotus, the um, Ferrari at, at Goodwood, like incredible, incredible stories, incredible experiences. But it's it's almost the as nerve wracking as it is, as, you know, much pressure is there is to not do something wrong. Oh, it, you know, it, it, it's just interesting. It's kind of a, a weird Paradox, I guess, where well, just... I, I had that come up a couple of times. Normally, when we would do exhibition runs at events, I would drive a Lotus 11, mm-hmm. and then I would drive a Lotus 23. And for some reason, at one event, I did the 23 first. Big, big mistake. The 23, even though it was, you know, eight years newer, seven years newer, it goes a lot faster and you can go into the corners a lot faster. And um, when I got into the 11, I mean, you pull in on the 23, you hop out, you get in the 11, you go back out. And it's a polished aluminum 11. Barber's has, I don't know, half a dozen Lotus 11s now or something. And this one was great. I loved it. I always loved the Lotus 11. First of all, a miserable car to drive. Yes. It's just like, being a Budweiser, you're in a Budweiser can driving around, <laughs> rattles and clunks, and you know the, just, the best of the best in 19, yeah. you know, in the 50s. Yeah. But and then um, I went out and damn near spun the thing, and boy, that's not something yeah. you really want to do. Nope. Um, only once or twice have I known of a car to be spun on the track, and I'm sure glad it wasn't me dri- driving. <laughs> <laughs> People that have been there 20 years had yeah. both both had done it. So, but it's, yeah, you, it's, there's a, it's a fun thing to do, but there is a, a lot of pressure and, but I also do like the way, and yeah, did you have Mario's car at Indy? And then, you know, you're 15 years younger than me or something like that. Close. But nonchalantly, yeah, well, we drove on a good, drove Goodwood Hill. <laughs> it, was, it was, it was only a, a John Surtees <laughs> Formula One championship winning Ferrari, but you know, yeah. no, and, but like, I don't, I don't want to, you know, we could, yeah. both yeah, of us could go down a list of incredible cars we've driven in incredible circumstances. Right now in our shop, we had uh, a customer get in touch with us and said, Hey, me and my buddies want to go women's racing. Can you help? I'm like, Heck yeah. Sounds like, a, sounds, that's a blast. They just bought a 1989 Honda Civic hatch. Um, this, I mean, it is you know, talking about a beer can on wheels like this yeah. is, you know, instead of a fifties version, this is a late eighties, early nineties version of a beer can on wheels. And, you know, we've, we've done this and that to it kind of trying to just make it so they can at least, at least all get to drive during the weekend. You know, maybe they don't finish the day, maybe they don't win the race, but they can all drive, you know, get it that reliable. And that thing's, a, it's a blast. 
You know, it's 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 an absolute piece of garbage, but it's it's, a, it's fun. It's that analogy. It's um, always more fun to drive a slow car fast than a fast car slow. Yep. And in your in this situation, it's more fun to drive something that you can can take a risk with that you can run into the wall and you know. We have uh, and uh, through the shop we have a '99 Mazda Miata that is absolutely 100% bone stock. We ripped out all the interior just to save weight, put in, you know, racing seats, harnesses, and welded the differential in it. And we take it out to, there's a, a local track called Mid Pond that used to be a go-kart track now, mostly used for drifting and, and like motorcycle stuff. And we'll take customers out there to do like car control type clinics or with the welded differential, it's just super, super tail happy, super, you know, always wants to oversteer. And so custom people that we have that um, just aren't as comfortable, like the kind of the um, uh, perfect, I guess, person for this car, someone like that's fast, but isn't real comfortable when the car gets out of shape. So we just say, go wail on it. Do, do clutch kicks, lock up the brakes, throw it sideways, go off track, spin out. We don't care. And it is so much fun just to thrash on it. And if something breaks, we were, we were just looking at a, um, just, we, we, we started a new um, dealer account with a, um, a website online a vendor and we could get a new complete new rear shocks for this car for, I think like $75. So it's like, if you go off track and, and destroy one of the corners, it's like, hundred bucks and you fix it. You're, you're good to go. It's very enjoyable. I'm going to say we might go ahead and wrap down to the conclusion. And you talk about having fun. Mitch is crazy when it comes down to it. He's had a couple of cool motorcycles and stuff and he's, you know, um, but one of the best stories I know about you or one of the best, I guess it wasn't a story. It was, Weeks of stories. Where, where is this going? Um, your Volvo wagon. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the, the best $400 ever spent. Ever. By anyone. Oh, no. I, I never participated, but I heard the stories. And yeah, I, I don't. You could be in Vegas, spend 400 bucks on um, women in blow. And you're as much fun. <laughs> yeah. Not even close. Uh, me and my friend, long story short, because it could be quite a long story, we bought a 1990 Volvo 740 station wagon for $400. And it was my daily driver for a while. Um, we put a nitrous kit on it and drag raced it and kept increasing the nitrous shot to the point where the engine just couldn't ingest that much nitrous and it was constant nitrous backfires um it one of the backfires somehow the like main harmonic balancer crank pulley the bolt backed out and shot the crank pulley off and we we're like an hour and a half from home so we had to like walk down the drag strip to find the main crank pulley so we could hammer it back on and put the bolt back in and get the pulleys back on you know so we'd have a water pump and stuff um we lifted it and would take it off road and it, it, the like trail that we would run 
every time we got back to the shop after running this like 15, 20 mile loop, the bottom of the radiator was ripped off and we could never really figure out what was going on. We figured we just, you know, at some point we bottomed out and it ripped the radiator off and oh well, we'll come to find out that, I mean, 30 seconds into this 20 minute loop that we would do, there was a real steep downhill followed by a real steep uphill that there was, you know, just a lot of gravel and dirt and mud at the bottom. Well, every time we hit that, the car would bottom out, drag the nose and rip the radiator off. And then we'd run it as absolutely hard as we could for another 15, 20 minutes with no radiator, no water. It was fine. Multiple times. Too. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. This was, and like this car, you know, Volvo in that era, they used the same parts on everything. So the, all the local junkyards, you know, each, each junkyard that we kind of found would have five or six of cars that would have put in the same radiator. It was close enough. So we could go get another radiator for six bucks throw it back in and off we go. We, um, we, uh, I think we might've pioneered maybe someone else has done it, but, uh, Volvo bowling where we would set up, you know, 10, 55 gallon drums, like bowling pins and we'd go bowling. It was, it was your, your own top was, gear. Yeah, it was, it was good. It was fun. Original top gear. Okay. <laughs> I remember the stories of that, and I thought you drove it for a while, even mm-hmm. without the radiator it, and that back and forth to work. No, it, so luckily uh, that that particular Volvo had a separate drive belt for the water pump, and then one for the power steering pump, and one for the alternator. And at one point in time, we lost the alternator belt, and it was just kind of a constant. Yeah, I'll, I'll deal with that later. And I drove it for the better part of a week, at least with no alternator. And then finally one day on the way home, the headlights started getting dim enough that we had to, you know, go to the parts store. And these are just, you know, super short little V belts that you can get for five bucks or whatever at the parts store. So I finally had to go back by the parts store and get a belt and throw it on there. So we could, you know, I could get to work the next day, but it was truly indestructible. We, we, I mean, everything we did to it, it, it just kept running. And finally just kind of, we said, you know what? It's time. It's time to move <laughs> on. And and I think we sold it for scrap or something, but it was, it was, I mean, we probably had it for a year and just did nothing but thrash on it. And it just kept on going. So if you're looking for a car for your 16 year old, <laughs> 1990 Volvo 740. Uh, so, We'll go ahead and wrap up here, but um, Birmingham Road and Race, right? Yep. You have a website or is it just a Facebook page? Yeah, no, or? we have a website. We haven't um, haven't really done a whole lot with the website. We do more <laughs> stuff on social media, um, Facebook, Instagram, Birmingham Road and Race. Um, yeah, check us out. Um, if anyone needs, needs any track car, street car, race car, go fast stuff, uh, we'd love to help. Um, yeah. Well, it was good to kind of catch back up with you. It's been a yeah, while since you and I have talked, and uh, I think last time I was actually selling you a whole bunch of cigars in a parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> sounds sounds about right. So, but thanks, Mitch. Yeah. Um, it'll yeah. be Derek and I'll be back on the next episode. Um, got a couple of different topics him and I are tossing around. 
Um, sorry to be so scattered with times this week. For those of you that do watch the live stream, uh, go ahead and check out, um, you know, no driving gloves at no driving gloves.com. Right now we've got um, two rows on our homepage of gift ideas or gift suggestions for you. I brought up the books last night that we have there. Um, we've got the little table. We've got the shop lamps that Derek brought up. There's just a couple of little things, you know, nothing, nothing over the top. Not like our original Christmas list where Will was putting on $15,000 Miller metal shaping machines. Uh, this is stuff you can actually use. I have one of those on my Christmas list. <laughs> so, you know, check that out. If you found any value or you got a little bit of fun out of tonight, go ahead and, you know, send us some, you know, send us a buck on, um, what I want to say, buy, buy us a coffee or uh, Patreon. Um, if you, if not, don't worry about it. You know, we do this kind of for fun. Uh, otherwise, let me see if I can hit the right buttons here because obviously we're not in the studio, but we'll talk to you uh, in a week or so. And we're out.